0: pray that you're all well and healthy, and we're so delighted and happy that you're joining us uh, online. Um, we're starting a new series since this crisis is not over yet, and the new series is titled How to Get Through What You're Going Through, and today's topic is simply the word struggle. Now, we haven't been able to travel around. Maybe your uh, spring break was canceled. Maybe your vacation this summer has already been canceled. Uh, Mission trip may be canceled, other things have been canceled. So where could you go right now, or where would you go if you could go someplace right now? Well, as most of you know, I, I love the woods, love the mountains, I trail run, trail hike. And so of the many places I would like to go, one of would be Grand Teton National Park out in west western United States. So we're going to all take a trip, a short trip together. Well, just some beautiful scenery, scenery, obviously. Um, There's 600 miles of hiking trails. That's one reason I would love to go there. And you think anybody that's been there, when you would come back, you would just be all excited, right? Well, they have a comment box, a suggestion box. I just want to read a couple of them to you this morning. One person put, please avoid building trails that go uphill. (laughs) Now, you saw the scenery. How can you have mountains that, and not have uphills? It reminds me of stories our grandparents would say, well, I had to walk miles and miles to school when I was a kid, and it was uphill both ways. <laughs> well, it's just the opposite. Nobody wants to go uphill. Another comment was this. Ski lifts need to be in some places so that we can get wonderful views without having to hike to them. Well, why not just drive up there, wherever it might be? And one other one, this one's really crazy, Escalators would help on the steep uphill sections. Now, anybody going to a place like that would expect that it would be hiking uphill and that it would be hard, right? And so I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How many of you would say, I really enjoy pain and tough times? Nobody, right? If he would like life to be smooth and even and easy. And think, in fact, the smart thing is to avoid pain and suffering, I would think. But something all of us have in common is this that we have pain and suffering, we have difficult times. <clears throat> now, it was interesting just that last night Jesus spent with his disciples. He said something, I just want to quote it here quickly for you. He said, I've told you all this that you may have peace in me. I told him a lot of strange, kind of disturbing stuff before he we uh, uh, go off to be crucified. But he said, here on earth, will, uh, you and I, all of us, will have many, not some, not a few, many trials and sorrows. So that's, that's the reality. And butts are always really important. His but is this. Take heart. Don't be discouraged because I've overcome the world. You can get through this. It's an, you know, it will come, come to pass. It will end. So, I don't know what trials and sorrows you're going through right now. It may be something completely new. Nothing you've experienced before. Certainly this pandemic is something I've never experienced before. I don't think any of us have. For some of you, it may be all too familiar. Uh, Trials and sorrows, difficulties, struggles, that may may have been part of your life for years and years and it just seems to go on, continue to go on. And for some of you, obviously, your struggle has nothing to do with this virus. It has some other sources, other reasons. In fact, we have three basic sources of trials and struggles. One is ourselves. <laughs> we do stuff, make dumb decisions that bring about difficulty in our lives. We spend more money than we make. We wind up with financial difficulties. Uh, that's, that's on me. That's my decision. Uh, we face struggles because of stuff other persons have done. My wife would never do this, but if she spent more money than we made, I would be suffering along with her financially or vice versa. I use the illustration, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I cause that pain. If my wife hits my thumb with a hammer, she caused my pain. So those are two sources of struggle. And of course, the third source is just life. Uh, there's no one to point to. There's no one to blame, if we want to use that word. And now, this virus obviously comes in that category. Um, I can't say, you know, this person or that person was the cause. So we have different causes, but we're all in the same boat. We all have struggles. So as we look at this series, we want to focus on the how. How we get through what we're going through. That's what really matters. We're all going to go through it. The real key is how we're going to get through it. Another way of saying it is this. How we respond to difficult circumstances, our struggles, determines our future. Whether we would say it's going to turn out better our futures are going to be wor- worse. Now, theologians and people that are smarter than I am <laughs> categorize spiritual, spiritual journeys in, in three categories. And there's different words or different names, and we're going to use these three in our, in our series together. Uh, the first is the, the confident faith. And, that's, and if you're not a Jesus follower, we, we're glad that you're watching and hope that you'll be encouraged to take that step. But that first step, is, 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 we say, is salvation or being born again. Uh, you enter into a phase called the confident phase. Another state, uh, name would be the honeymoon stage. It just seems, everything's great. <laughs> uh, uh, your prayers seem to be answered. God just seems to be in tune to what you're saying. Uh, obedience just to be, comes to be natural. It's something you want to do, and God's rewarding that obedience, and, and life is good. There's a, a joy and this uh, sense of peace and fulfillment in life. And that's, that's how this faith journey starts with Jesus. And for some people, it's, it's short-lived. And for other people, it goes on for a long time. But the second stage or second phase of, uh, of a faith journey is this. We call it the challenged faith. And this is where the struggles come. And when the struggles come, sometimes there's fear and sometimes there's doubt. And our prayers seem to just be disconnected. We say they don't seem to get past the ceiling. Uh, obedience is a struggle or even when we obey, it doesn't seem like we're being rewarded. These folks over here are just, you know, doing whatever they want. And I'm trying to be obedient God and their lives are good and, and my life's not so good. A word I like to use is this, spiritual fatigue sets in. As a runner, you know, depending on how well I've trained, at a certain stage, fatigue sets in. Well, in our spiritual lives, especially when we're facing struggles, fatigue sets in. And so these struggles <clears throat> catapult us from cabinet, co- confident faith into challenge faith. And the be- for me, the best example is, is, is what's happened to church <laughs> As a pastor for 40 years, this has never happened before, where I'm a shepherd with no sheep, or I can't be with my sheep, uh, using that illustration. So that's a a struggle that I'm going through. And how do I pastor uh, people that I can't see face to face? And in these struggles, we tend to always ask this question. We don't get the answer, but why God? Why, God, is this happening? Why is this happening to our country, to our world, to me? Uh, what's happening? Why is it happening? So I'm going to ask you a simple question, and I want you to write this down, or at least plan it in your mind. I'm going to come back to it at the end of the, our time together this morning. What is making life tough for you right now? It may be the outgrowth of this uh, pandemic, It may be a relational issue that you have with someone. It might be a health issue, uh, financial issue. Uh, But what's at the top of your list? Um, Most of us would have more than one thing. What is making life uh, the toughest for you right now? It might be having the kids home all the time. I don't know. My kids are grown past that stage. But the exciting thing about challenge faith, it has the potential to get us to the third phase, or the third stage, and that's living faith. This is where we have confidence in God. No matter what's going on around us, we have confidence. We have that peace that Jesus mentioned. There's going to be troubles and struggles, but you have peace. Uh, you don't need to be discouraged. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Unfortunately, I believe the only way to get to living faith is to go through challenged faith where God can prove himself faithful. So how do we get through what we're going through? Whatever you wrote down. Well, we're going to do a study in in a, a, a book at the beginning of the Bible way back in the Old Testament called Exodus. And we're going to draw some some lessons, life lessons from what happened to the Israelites, and the guy that most people have heard of, named Moses. Now, to kind of set that up, God led Abraham, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God led a guy by the name of I- Abraham to establish, begin what we call the Jewish nation, and he traveled to a place we call Israel now, and uh, They were there for several generations. A famine hit. And because of some circumstances, you can read it, Joseph became a leader in Egypt where they had food. And so the little Israelite nation or clan at that point moved to Egypt. And things were great. They were treated nicely. They had the best pasture land for their sheep. But then fast forward 400 years and things have completely changed. Israelites are now slaves. They're the labor force to the Egyptians. And life is just terrible. And so at this point, God comes to a guy named Moses and says, Hey, I want you to help me change this situation. So we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 3. So one day Moses, speaking a little more of this backstory, Moses grew up in Egypt in the palace of the Pharaoh. And at the age of about 40, he killed, killed someone and ran off into the desert. And it's 40 years later. He's 80 years old. He's been living in the desert for 40 years. And he's tending his flock with his father-in-law, Jethro. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. So that kind of locates where they are. There, an angel of the Lord appeared. It appeared to him in a blazing fire. Fire often represents God in the Bible. So a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. It's kind of odd. Though the, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Well, that's pretty unusual. So he said, This is amazing. He said to himself, Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go and see it. He was inquisitive, just like, like you and I would. It kind of reminded me some years ago. Our power went out, like it did this week. But I looked outside, and the closest telephone pole to us. Uh, was on fire. So I go down and check it out, and evidently the wire broke or something, and it set the the telephone pole. So I called 911, of course, and they came, and it was a day later before they fixed our electricity, but they put the fire out. So he goes to see. Uh, And it's interesting. When God does something unusual, we should be ready for what I call God's surprises. And this was certainly a big God surprise for Moses. Again, 40 years. uh, From what we can tell, Moses just was living his life. And the text goes on. And when the Lord saw Moses coming take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, let me just say this to you. God knows you. He knows you personally. He knows your name, just like Moses. And he addresses us that way. And we should respond as Moses did. Uh, uh, here I am. I'm listening, God. What do, what do you have to say? Um, don't come any closer, to the Lord Warren. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. And I don't think it's the ground; it's so significant. It's, it's it's when we're in contact with God. And I got to thinking about different times in my life, and and I don't know exactly where I was, probably in my study. Back, I've been a pastor a couple of years, and I'm reading not about North American missions, but on uh, international missions. And I just had this international missions magazine, and I'm reading through it, and God is like telling me to read this. I'm, God is telling me, hey, <laughs> you need to leave, in this case, Maryland, and go overseas where the needs are so great, so many people need to hear the message of the good news and there's so few people. To... And so that was a holy time in a holy place. And so God had a message to my wife and I, and we went later went on to be international missionaries. And I believe God speaks to all of us, and we have those holy moments. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Clinton, his wife, they've had that, and God's calling them to go to New York City. And so uh, we need to respond to those holy encounters with God. In, in Moses' case, it was this. He said, I have a certain, certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Now, we don't know when it started, but it's 400 years later since they went. So, for at least some amount of years, this has been going on. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering." So, God heard, and God was aware, and they were crying out. They were basically saying, God, help us. And that may, might be your response in, to your struggle right now. So, that was their response to their struggle. And what was God's response was, I've heard, I'm aware, and we're going to see. He's going to do something about it. I got to think about it this way as a parent. Especially when you have a, ch- a, a small child that cries out, maybe in the middle of the night. Maybe they have a nightmare. What do you instantly do? You run to their side. You run to help. And so, God has heard their cry of distress, and so He comes to help. Now, let me remind you, the God that you and I worship today is the same God that spoke to Moses thousands of years ago. And so, He tells Moses, He says, I have come down to rescue them the Israelites, his chosen people, from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land that that was established with Abraham. Now, he goes on and says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've seen how harshly Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, who he personally knew, he grew up with the Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And you can go read the text, and we're going to fast forward about 10 chapters, but plagues and all that. Eventually the Pharaoh says, out of here. And so we're going to pick the story up in chapter 13 when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. So, Egypt's here, the promised land's here, the shortest route's straight this way, but the Philistines are there. Now, Philistines are warriors. The Egyptians have been slaves. How do slaves usually match up against warriors? Not too good. So, God understood that. So, God took them another way. Now, there is a reason for that, but is this going to be easy just because it's not there? No, no, no. It's still not going to be easy. But if the people are faced with the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So we're not going that way. So he led them around about through the wilderness. Wilderness always represents struggle, doesn't it? So they're still going to struggle toward the Red Sea. And of course, most people know the story. And if you don't know, they get to the Red Sea and they're trapped. The Egyptian army is coming. And it doesn't seem like a rescue, does it? They're out in the wilderness, they're out in the desert, and the Egyptian army is uh, coming after them. Now, what were they expecting? I don't know. Maybe clear sailing, easy, smooth sailing. I would ask you the same question what are you expecting? in life. Are you expecting everything to go smoothly? What did Jesus say? You'll have many trial struggles. So, we pray. God maybe seems to answer. Maybe He doesn't seem to answer. Not the way we'd want Him to answer. We begin to ask a question. Does God care and we question his character. Is God still good is, or is he still all powerful? We said uh, in the past, if he could, he would, but he hasn't, so he can't. No, that's not, that's not good logic. <laughs> no, he's chosen not to. He's chosen to do something differently. <clears throat> so the, they, besides the, uh, I guess you would call the miracles of the plagues, they, the Israelites got to experience some other miraculous things of God. Uh, later in that chapter, the Lord went ahead of them, guiding them. So they didn't have GPS, but they had something better. God was guiding them in the day with a cl- pillar of a cloud and providing light at night with a pillar of uh, fire. This allowed them to travel day by day or night. So all they had to do was follow. They had clear direction. Uh, and then later on, they get to that Red Sea, and they're trapped, and it looks, it looks like they're doomed. Moses raises his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind, and the wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. And the people of Israel walked through in the middle of the sea on dry ground with water on each side. Even our unbelieving neighbor said there's historical or geographical evidence that this happened, and... So, he was saying, well, it's really not a miracle. And I say, okay, what about the timing? <laughs> uh, we believe it was a miracle. If you don't believe so, that's, that's fine. We understand that. <clears throat> so, they saw, they had evidence. And in their struggle, they had evidence that God is a good and loving God. And so, it transformed them into a living faith. But once we get to that living faith, do we always stay there? No, we don't, and neither did they. And so we'll move on a couple more chapters. They're out they're safe from the Egyptians, but they're out in the desert. And we got to go there this time last year, and it is a desert. The whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. Now, did they really want to be killed back in Egypt? No, that's what we just do. We, we over, we exaggerate our, our, our complaining. Uh, there we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Sure, but you were slaves and you were forced to to work night and day. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Had they starved to death? No. So they're complaining, which means they're blaming. In their case, they're blaming uh, Moses and Aaron, his brother. Ultimately, they're blaming God, Right? And so a lot of that's going on now. I'm aware of that. And probably you and I, all of us, have done some complaining. And our, our lives have been so different. And part of it's just a natural response to stress. And change brings about stress. And so one of the way we escape is trying by complaining. The interesting thing in this case was that right after that, God provided him food for the next 39 years for free. Uh, manna, so he, they didn't starve. So we've got the Israelites in different situations and different responses. Two responses. The one was to cry out to God. God, I'm depending on you to supply what I need. Help, help. The other response is to complain and to say, God, it shouldn't be this way. It ought not to be this way. Um, I know better than you how it should be. Now, I got to thinking of this illustration. Hopefully, it's helpful. When our children were smaller, say one of our children is two years old, and they come to my wife and she's in the kitchen fixing some elaborate meal, and the two-year-old says, No, Mom, you're doing that wrong. Is my wife going to change what she's doing? Or they come out to, to me uh, working on, constructing something, working on the car or something, and that two-year-old says, Dad, you're doing it wrong. Are we going to listen to that two-year-old? No. So, it boils down to this. What is the difference between crying out and complaining? It boils down to one word. Trust. A two-year-old wasn't trusting his parents to know what they were doing. You and I aren't trusting God to know what he's doing. And with whatever struggle we're going through. Or we aren't trusting Him. God, I'm trusting you than I, more than I'm trusting myself. Instead of, oh, I know best, God. If I was God, I wouldn't let this happen, or I would change this situation. So are you finding yourself complaining? Let me go back to that question I asked you earlier. What is making life tough for you right now? Remember what it was? Did you write it down? I shared with you, it's being a pastor-shepherd without being able to see my sheep. Except for virtually, obviously. So, are you and am I, are we crying out, God help? Or am I complaining? Telling God it shouldn't be that way. And maybe you think you shouldn't cry out to God. We certainly shouldn't complain, but no, no, I think it's okay. In fact, it's more than it's okay. It's expected. That's what God desires from us. We have this beautiful example, actually sad example, from the life of Jesus. And after he left that, the upper room, uh, the Last Supper, and we celebrated that last week, he goes off into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we've been there. It's just down the hill from, from the city of Jerusalem. And he prays. And what does Jesus pray hours before he's being crucified? And if you read that prayer, he's, three times he asks God to what? Take away my suffering. Take away my pain. I don't want to die on a cross. Three times. If there's any other way. And God said, sorry, <laughs> can't do that because there is no other way. And of course, then Jesus said, your will be done then mine. And he went and died on the cross for you and for me. Now, it doesn't necessarily explain Jesus' pain or your my pain. But it does explain isn't not, this is not a reason to think that God does not love us. In fact, the reason Jesus had to die was because he loved us. And he had to sacrifice his only son. The cross only proves or shows to us how much God loves us. So, as always, I like to leave you something to think about. And um, so, here it is. Will you cry out to your loving Father in this season of challenge faith? I believe we're probably all in the challenge faith with what's going on or if you're not a Jesus follower and you have your struggles also, will you take the first step to cry out to God? The cross proves He loves you. He wants to to help help you and I to get through. So let me pray with you, and then we'll uh, let you go for another week, and hopefully you'll join us uh, again next week. Uh, Father God, Uh, thank you for this example. The Israelites, they're no different than us. Sometimes they did it right. They cried out to you. In fact, in their case, they really didn't have many options. They were slaves. And God, in reality, we don't really have a lot of options other than complaining, and complaining never does any good. Doesn't make the situation better. Certainly blaming you. Uh, is a foolish thing to do. We're like two-year-olds telling, trying to tell parents what, what's best. So God, forgive us for our, our foolishness, for our arrogance uh, to complain and, and think we know better than you. Uh, God, I don't want to pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower at this point. Uh, I know they're struggling. We all struggle. Life's hard. And it's really hard to go it alone. But as Jesus followers, we don't. Not only do we have you, Jesus, but we have our uh, brothers and sisters uh, we call the church. And so we pray today would be the day that you accept God's love gift, that Jesus died for you. Part of your struggle is with God because of your sin. Um, you've turned your back on God, but God never turns His back on you. He stands with arms open and say, I love you. Will you accept my, my gift, love gift? Will you let me love you? And will you love me back? I pray you make that decision. You will enter into that initial stage of faith, that, that faith of, with pure confidence and joy. And, and um, we're here to help. And please let us know if you made that decision. Many of us are Jesus followers. And we struggle too. And I know we all tend to be, uh, my wife and I use the term whiny heinies. We like to complain. And God, again, forgive us. Uh, we, we are foolish. <laughs> and we know this is a time of challenge, faith, and God, we pray it com- catapults us into that living faith where we just trust you, not a little bit or not some of the time, but we fully trust you through this situation. And God, we know that you've got something amazing, uh, a surprise, God's surprise for us uh, on the other side of all this. Uh, We look forward so much to where we can be face-to-face again. We know, God, that that time is coming. And uh, we thank you for the privilege of doing worship uh, the way we, we are able to do it now. And we thank you in the precious name of our resurrected Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.